Good morning, and welcome to the first week of a six-week series focused upon the book of Ephesians from now until Easter. Ephesians is the 10th book of the New Testament of the Bible. Ephesians was originally a letter written by Paul to this church in Ephesus that was exploding with the growth of Gentile Christians, those who were not Jews who were coming to faith in Christ. And the apostle is writing this letter to that church um, to help them understand how to keep reaching people who are outside of the Jewish religion. The theme we've chosen for Ephesians is a new humanity. One thing Paul is communicating throughout the whole book, the whole letter, is that our faith is not a set of rules to be kept like the Jewish religion, but our faith is that God is creating a whole new way of living, a whole new humanity. God is establishing right here on earth a new way of being, and Ephesians says, it's all God. It's his power, it's his idea, it's his son, it's his spirit, because he wants to. This new humanity is not about what we bring to the table, but about what God brings to us. It's like God invites us to his party, this new humanity, and he invites us because he wants to. We have nothing to offer for this free invitation. Now, Kurt, in chapter one, Kurt Vanderweel, next week here at Waverly, he'll be teaching about how we keep trying to bring something to the table to make us worthy of the invitation. And he'll talk about, um, I, I wanna bring a behavior that makes God happy, or I, I wanna bring being a part of the right group, or I wanna bring that I believe the right stuff, or I wanna bring that I just accept and love everyone. All of those trying to prove that there's a part of me that caused my invitation. And Ephesians is clear, it's all Jesus. Now, here's my outline for Ephesians chapter 3. In fact, you're going to get uh, the chapters 3, 1, 2, and then the last three. So here's my outline for uh, uh, Ephesians 3, for, especially for those of you who like an outline. Like, where are we going? What does it say? So one, the first 13 verses, Paul reminds us who he is. And then the next five verses, Paul prays for us. And the last, three, and the last two verses, Paul reminds us of how great God is. So let's begin uh, verses uh, Ephesians 3, verse 1. Here's the, here it is. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of a God's grace that was given to me for you. Look at this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner. He's telling us about himself. I'm a prisoner for Christ and for the sake of you Gentiles, you outsiders. And surely you've heard about this administration of God's grace, this calling on my life that was given to me for you. And then let's look at verses 7 and 8 from Ephesians 3. Paul's still talking about who he is. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less 
than the least. Look at that. Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, if he were standing here, he would be saying, I am less than any of you who follow Jesus. I'm less than any of the believers. And why is that? Because he's making the point, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus' power. I'm the least of all the Lord's people. It's all God. So Paul reminds us, who is he? One, he's a prisoner in jail. Two, he's received this mystery uh, that outsiders now, remember he's writing to Ephesus, Gentiles who didn't used to be invited into the party, God's party, are now invited. He says, I'm a servant to the gospel and I'm the least qualified of all Christians. Paul says, I was called to this not because I was most qualified, I'm least qualified. I'm unworthy. Now, here's the application from this first part of Ephesians 3. You and I are like Paul. We've been invited into this new humanity. And when we experience it, we get to participate and we get to invite others along. And we get to be used, even though we're in tough circumstances, like Paul's from prison. He's writing this letter from prison, and even if we are not the most qualified, we were invited. It's not our strength and our qualifications. Sometimes I wonder if somehow this congregation, by mistake, places the teachers of Orchard Hill Church or the leaders of Orchard Hill Church on a pedestal. Sometimes I wonder if you listen online to a pastor who really touches your heart, and by mistake, you put them on a pedestal. We want to be very clear. Our teachers, me, Alice, Kurt, all the other teachers, we're not up here because we are on a pedestal. We're not more holy. We're not smarter than most of you. We don't know the Bible necessarily better than you. Why are we up here? Just like Paul. We're, we're, we're not that qualified, but God has given us this gift. God has called us to this. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I'm not more qualified. I just have this calling. Our teachers are called to this thing because God gives us some fruit when we teach. Did you ever ask yourself, why are the teachers chosen that are up here? Do you ever ask that? There's so many wrong answers, like they're an entertaining speaker, or uh, they're really good at telling a story, or this. No, the reason, what we look for, and when we brought Alice on our teaching team 25 years ago, what we look for is, it's all Jesus. When does he create fruit in the lives of people? When does he do it? It's him working through us. On Saturday, I spoke at Cooper Lenz's funeral. Cooper is the seven-year-old son of Eric and Becky Lenz, the brother of Charlie and Molly. Eric is one of those on our teaching team. I announced his loss last week in this service. Jeff Mickey was the host, and I was the teacher. And we both knew very clearly from the start of the week that it had to be all God. It had to be God's power and God's comfort in 
if our words were to bring comfort or clarity or helpfulness or faith to help the family or the friends, it had to be God. And that's what Paul's saying here. There are things we can all do. We can pray, we can take meals to a family, we can send cards, we can make financial gifts, we can give hugs, we can take the children for an evening of this family. But only God works through those things to touch deep inside with comfort and help. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I know who I am and I know who God is. And it's God. So, is it possible that God might be whispering to you, even though you cannot do it, you are not qualified, God might be whispering to you that you need to love better in your marriage. And you can't do it. But he can through you. You need to parent with a little more patience. You can't do it. You know you can't do it. But he can do it through you. You need help to care about your coworkers, listen a little better, encourage a little better, be less competitive. You can't do it, can you? But he can do it through you. Love your neighbors, your friends. It will be all God's work. And that's what he's saying. Paul's saying, hey, it's not me. It's not me. In fact, if Paul were up here teaching this morning, he would say, I'm the least of any of you. Uh, the second part of the outline is Paul prays for us. This is one of my favorite prayers in the entire Bible, right here in Ephesians 3, uh, one of them. And uh, we're going to go to uh, 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 verse uh, 16. I pray, and we're going to look at three things he prays. I pray, says Paul for this church, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through your spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, let's stay with those two a minute. He says, the first thing I pray is that God will strengthen you with power in your inner being. What a prayer. I prayed that prayer all week for Eric and Becky Lenz, for the friends that were walking with them. I pray that somehow God, in his strength, will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then the second prayer, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. <sighs> mm. And then the third prayer that he prays, the next part of this verse. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, get this, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. How big is the love of Christ? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is where I want to land for a minute. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. Let me ask you this. How good are you at receiving God's love? At grasping how wide and long and high and deep is this absolute, unconditional love God has for you. 
I'm not that good. This is one of my major weaknesses. I'm not that good at just opening my hands and receiving God's love. I always want to bring something to the party to give God a reason to love me. I keep going back to the old way. God, isn't there something I can do that would cause that love? There ought to be something. And God says, no, this is a new humanity. This is a new way of being. I love you first. It's my party, says God. He invites you because he wants to. He deeply, deeply loves you. And this is so hard for many of us, especially Americans, especially with this work ethic. So hard. After we receive his love, yes, there are some things we can do to love God back, for sure. But the invitation to the party has been completely purchased by what Jesus did on the cross and simply because God chose to love us. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes accepts this invitation to the party shall be invited in. As a church, if you go to our website, about us, you know that at the top, uh, you go to a page that has our mission, our strategies, some of our beliefs, and then it has this thing called the missional marks, which are the outcomes we're going for. So let me ask you this question. If you were going to evaluate the church, and you were going to say, um, is Orchard Hill Church doing a good work in the lives of our members? Is Orchard Hill Church being effective? What marks would you put down on our website? And, uh, uh, you know, uh, with our mission, which we've just been teaching about, and this is who you are the last four weeks, some of you might put, well, are we reaching next generations, teenagers? That would be a good mark, wouldn't it? A good outcome? Um, are we fixing a broken world? Are we building houses and relationships and marriages and families? Are we repairing stuff? That'd be a good mark. Or how many of our people are in Bible studies? That would be a really good outcome we're going for. Or how about how many of our folks are really giving money sacrificially? Or how about how many people are in our worship rooms? Or how many people start their time, start their day with God in a quiet time? All of these would be important. But they are not the marks we're going for as a church. We're going for marks that are described right here in Ephesians 3. You know what our website says? Here's our missional marks. Here's the outcomes we're going for. Number one, be loved. Are you as a person able to receive the, God, the love of God to an extent that it'll overflow from your heart? That's the number one outcome we're looking for. That's what Paul prays for. He says, I pray you'll know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. I pray you'll receive that love to a point of which it overflows. And then we have four more marks. Once you receive that love, which is hard, once you receive that love from God, you feel that love. You're like filled with it. It heals you. Then... Are you going to love God back by learning more and more about him? 
Are you going to love yourself? You know, here's something. You cannot follow Jesus if you hate yourself. If you basically hate yourself, you cannot be an effective follower of Jesus. It's, it's clear. Uh, we need to let that love of God overflow me so I love God back and I love myself. And then I'm able to do what Jesus said is the most important commandment. Love my neighbors and then love my enemies. It's this kind of a church that I believe next generations are looking for. It's the kind of a church that will please God, receive his love first, and let it overflow, and help me love others. Let me ask you this question. Where are you and what are you doing when you best receive the love of God? What helps you grasp this, this unconditional, overwhelming love of God? Whatever it is, um, I would really want to encourage you to do it more. If it's reading your Bible and you just get overwhelmed with God, then read your Bible more. If it's giving a friend or a spouse or a child a hug, then do more of it. Is it walking in nature? Do more of it. I found that I receive the love of God in a lot of unusual places. As I walked with uh, Eric and Becky Lenz this week and held them while they wept at this great loss, God was there. And even though they couldn't feel it because they're numb, I could feel God in that holy place. I remember once in Mozambique, I was in a church service, Mozambique, Africa. I was in a church service. I couldn't understand a single word that was being said. And all of a sudden, the women got up and started dancing in the aisles during worship. And then the children, and then the men. And I sensed this love of God across national boundaries. It's everywhere. And sometimes when I'm in the mountains or out in the woods and I see a sunrise or a sunset, I just feel what a gift of God because of his love. And the last thing Paul does in Ephesians 3 is Paul reminds us of who God is. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, that's the top thing we need to do for you as you come to worship God in a place like this. It's what our worship songs are about often. It's what our teachings focus on. It's how powerful and how loving and how inspiring and how awesome God is. And Ephesians 3 ends with what I believe is one of the key verses in all of the Bible to talk about the awesomeness of God. And here it is, 20 and 21. Now to him, God, now to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him, God, 
be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's go back to that first part. Now to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Following God requires humble people because it's all God. He starts it all. It's his party. It's his kingdom. It's his new humanity. We don't get to put God in any kind of a box. And as soon as you think you put God in a box, like I know enough about who God is that I have him in a box, then what God's going to do is explode your box. And I think, again, this is what next generations are looking for in their church. We need to put ourselves in places with people where God is at work in ways we never imagined. I remember a couple times in my life where God did some things, and I thought, I have a rule against God doing that. And then I thought, who gets to make the rules? I have a truth in my head against God doing that. And he does it anyway. I saw it in Eric and Becky this week. Broken, devastated, burying a seven-year-old son. And God was at work. And where he was at work was through uh, their friends and support systems and parents. And you think, when things are so broken and devastated, God won't show up with some of his best gifts on that day, but he does. I saw it in cancer wards when I walked with my son, Jer, at Mayo in Minnesota. I sat in those waiting rooms as people were getting radiation, chemo, surgeries. And right in the midst of that pain, there would be a grandmother or a little sister, or a brother who would be bringing encouragement and hugs, and God was there. I, I've seen it in Mozambique. I've seen it when our children are up front dancing and leading worship. Final question. Where is a place that God might want to show you he's at work beyond anything you could imagine. In your thinking, God wouldn't be at work there, but in fact, God is at work there. Maybe it's the opposite political party. Look for God at work. Or maybe it's a neighbor you don't even like. Look for God at work. Maybe it's through a way of studying the Bible or a way of worshiping God that's not my favorite, but God's at work there. Now to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. 
could restate that. Now, for God, who's able to break out of any box I try to put him in, he's going to be at work. And where's his power going to be? His power that is at work within us. God invites us into this new way of being, this new humanity. All of Ephesians is about God's invitation to this new humanity. Thank you for listening so closely. Let's pray together. Dear God, we desperately need you. We need you because all of meaningful life, all of faith, all of following Jesus starts with your love. You loved us first. And the best we can do is love you back after we receive that love. Help us, dear God. Help us see the world the way you see it. Help us love, receive your love, and then love you back and love ourselves love our neighbors and love our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.